Thanks to Crymalt, I'm Matt Kirkegaard and this is Beer as a Conversation. This week, Pete and I catch up with Feral Brewing founder Brendan Varus. It's been 12 months since Brendan announced that he had sold his brewery to Coca-Cola and 10 years since he first brewed Hop Hog, and so we have plenty to talk about. We discuss what has changed in the 12 months since the sale, how much the beer scene has changed since he unleashed Hop Hog on the market, and it turns out that we can add him to the long list of brewers that just don't get Neepers, though it seems he does have quite a liking for the emerging Brute IPA. As always with Brendan, it's a great chat that offers plenty of insight into the evolving world of beer. Enjoy the conversation. Brendan Varus, welcome back to Beer is a Conversation. Hi guys, great to talk to you again. Mate, it, it absolutely is, and it's uh, we caught up very briefly for the Hottest 100 uh, this year, um, and but we haven't really spoken uh, since this time last year. It was uh, almost exactly a year ago that you made the big announcement that you were selling Feral um, to Coca-Cola Amatil, but uh, we also wanted to chat because not only is it one year since then, it's 10 years since you even kicked off the whole uh, Feral Roadshow. Yeah, well, the Hop Hog Roadshow. Oh, the, anyway, the, the yeah. Hop Hog Roadshow, sorry, yes. Funny, everything always seems to happen around October um, in the feral business, so here we are again, yeah. So, mate, tell us uh, what, what's, what's been happening. I, I think when we spoke to you in January uh, for the Hottest 100, you just spent some time on, uh, if not your yacht, somebody's yacht. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> How much do you think no, you got not for? My, not my yacht, not my yacht, <laughs> no, I think. And, and so I must, those, those goals, I, mean, I don't think we're going to meet towards the end of the year. My goal is to... What do they say? Twenty um, percent of the fishermen catch eighty percent of the fish. I'm still firmly in the eighty percent. Um, so, <laughs> so that goal, I don't think I'm going to meet to make it into the twenty percent. I don't catch many, but I enjoy getting out when I can. So that's all fun. Otherwise, look, we're still. I'm still in in at work. You know, every other day, working closely with all the brewing team, marketing team, the bigger coke team a lot of fun and obviously a bit less pressure than it used to be <laughs> yeah well, well that, that was one of the things that uh, really struck me when we did chat um uh, around the time of the sale that you know w- w- with all of the development work you'd done building the brewery then having to rebuild you know sort of move the brewery to to keep up um it, it, I, I got the sense that there was quite a bit of stress um going on in your life around that time you know and you know, w- were you enjoying the, the the whole game that you're in twelve months ago? Uh, I, look, I was enjoying it, but I, I just didn't probably have the freedom to spend the time in the business where I always wanted to. I had to go where I was most needed. But um, but these days, I can get back to back to you know the things that I enjoy, which is probably more working with the with the brewing team, working with Will on NPD. You know, a little bit of marketing stuff as well, I suppose. I can pick and choose, whereas back then I just really had to uh, be disciplined to perhaps do a lot of the things I didn't enjoy as much within uh, the business. So that's been the big change, and uh, I'm certainly happier for it. Yeah, I'd probably say the team at Feral are probably happier for it too. Um, <laughs> most of them have got a bit more support around them uh, when they need it in all areas now. Uh, yeah, I'm probably a, a bit more relaxed than perhaps I was towards the end of the time there. Has there been much of a change in the business? You know, ha- have you seen um, much amalgamation 
between the, the, the feral business and the CCA business over the last 12 months? Or have there been much changes to the way you do business, the way you distribute beer? Uh, not really. I mean, we, we, we're beginning to distribute uh, just currently through the, Co- the Coca-Cola distribution shed, um, just, just, just moving to that now. But apart from that, no, not really. I mean, um, there's a beer insider uh, exchange team which works, which focuses um, on on-premise sales. So they work very closely with the feral um, sales team uh, and share all their opportunities together. Outside of that, look, we still run our own race. Total, you know, total creative control. Total, um, you know, even even administratively, we, you know, we're running our own P and L. We're still we're running our own balance sheet. We're still, you know, paying our own bills. And it's not, people think that there's just some bucket of money that just gets topped up. Um, Rob Brakovich is the GM there. He's got to run it pretty well, just like I do. You know, he can't just go putting his hand out for more money because of our job. So, look. We really is left to run our race the way the way we want to, um, and you know, the, the turnover of people has been very very small as well. I think there's probably been one brewer moved on for personal reasons, and um, I think probably a couple of sales guys have changed. But outside of that, it's the same people doing the same thing they always have. And how about the beard? Have you been pressured to dumb the beard down at all? Which is always <laughs> no. one of the big concerns. Yeah, no, no, and I hopefully that. People would know that by tasting it themselves. That there's been no change in the beer. There's never even a mention of it, to be honest. There's no input at all into any any product outside of, you know, our brewing team. That doesn't go any further than it ever did. One of the reasons you gave uh, when you to announce a decision um, last year was that you had looked around and you realised you had a couple of daughters that weren't likely to come in, and you know. At the end of the day, you need to get out of a business. Um, do you think you made the right choice? You know, are you happy with the choice and the way that it's all worked out? Yeah, I think so. I'm confident that the feral business is in good hands and probably a better, and de- definitely probably a better position than it was uh, a year ago. Um, the people there are all pretty happy and enjoying what they do, like they always have. And I'm also happy with how much. Um, involvement I can still have and do still have and that's as much or as little as I want it to be um, and I can influence the way that I always have so yeah I'm really comfortable um, with how it is a year on. So let's uh, take a look back to 10 years of uh, Hop Hog. Um, we had a uh, really great um, article from Ross Lewis you who sat down uh, with, with you recently and uh, captured some of the inspiration behind uh, starting Hop Hog. Maybe you can just sort of, uh, talk us through, you know, talk us through some of those things. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think um, the most interesting thing looking back is just reflecting how far um, beers changed here in Australia in ten years. If you look at that as like a a point in time, ten years ago, there 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 really was no well-made hoppy beer, and and certainly dry hopping. There were people doing it, but they, they it wasn't being done very well. The the um, the method, the methods that were being employed weren't particularly effective, and so you look out there now, ten years on, and you know, especially if it's a craft beer bar, there's barely a a tap that's not taken up by hops these days, and, and I think that's probably a, a future challenge that we need to look at is is what's next outside of hoppy beer, because we can't just keep doing different variations on the same thing if we're, if we're talking about diversity in craft beer. But you know, you just couldn't buy a, a five or six percent 
you know, 50 plus IBU beer anywhere in the country 10 years ago and today. He can't get away from it almost. <laughs> but that's one of the things uh, when Pete and I did uh, Good Brews Week um, or Brews News Week, whatever we call it these days, Pete. Um, last week we were talking about there was something about hops that completely, you know, captured the market's imagination because I'd forgotten until I read uh, Ross's piece that beers like you had a, a brown ale and a pilsner and um, feral white used to be your big seller and all of those have sort of fallen a little bit by the wayside some of those traditional styles have lost uh, a lot of presence in the market and everything is very very hop driven or more recently uh, sour yeah I don't know how much sour is actually being sold it's, it's- the noisy little type of beer, um, set, of, set of beers, the sour beers, by way of the attention they attract because they're just so different. I don't know how much actually gets gets consumed. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if we look at our portfolio now, even things like Fair and White, which was our main seller, um, you know, we that's really sitting there now just so that we've got some range diversity um, and, you know, we still like to, to drink a wee beer from time to time. On its sales in and of itself, it probably, you know, someone would look at putting a line through that as, as not worth bothering about. Um, Australians don't drink wheat beer. We've never really drunk a lot anymore, wheat beer. Um, we've never really drunk dark beer a lot. So how to, I guess, bring malt and fermentation-driven flavours into the view and consideration of of brewers and then consumers is I think it's, it's, it's a real thing that we need to spend a little bit of time on because just waiting on a new hop variety and using a bit more of it is going to get a bit tired and old at some point, I think. And, and particularly, as much as I love the, the hoppy beers, I just find that particularly when it comes to doing something with food matching, hops just don't tend to provide no so so it's more of the subtle flavors of yeast and malt that really let you play with some of the flavors that come from food yeah oh your belgians and your even lagers will do often not much better with with food your belgians and yeah british british styles will be better with food than than these new world hoppy beers they they don't play well um i don't think with very many foods what do you think drives that? One of the things that, uh, you know, it, it, it's been suggested to me is that people just immediately get hops because they're so obvious, um, whereas malt and yeast flavours can be a little bit more subtle and a little bit harder to, to, to really understand without a little bit of background in the, the beer-making process. Yeah, well, they're nice flavours, aren't they? These New World hop flavours, they're all tropical fruits and citrus and those things. If you wrote them on a, on a wine description bottle, that the wine would probably sell really well. So there's certainly those flavours that are associated with with good cell, like Sauvignon Blanc wine, for example, is the big it's the big beast of Australian white wine. Um, it's got those similar characters and flavours. So so I just think it's prob- they're, they're probably things that naturally people are uh, attracted towards. Bitterness, I don't think necessarily people are, and, and, and the stronger, more bitter ones often. That's it's probably not because they're stronger. It's probably because they're more bitter. Um, I, I, I think there's still a a limited attraction to bitterness, but uh, people will accept it more if they can get more of that really nice, pleasant uh, hop flavour um, associated with it. But I still think generally Australians don't like bitter beers, though. Like you know, a, lot of, a lot of the hoppy beers that are selling are on the on the sweeter side and sub and forty or sub forty IBU. Brendan, you make a really interesting uh, point there about, and Matt's touched on it as well. The those beer styles on the periphery that kind of come and go, and every now and then, you know. The, 
they'll they'll find favour, um, even if it's only on social media or you know apparent favour. Um, whereas Hophog has really kind of, apart from a couple of fairly well documented um, changes to the label with a little bit of black texture, um, it hasn't it hasn't really or has it changed all that much. No, no, and we tackled that a little bit with Ross. Effectively, we select towards the flavour profile each year when it comes to assessing what the different hop crops are like. So the ones that we select towards are, are usually orange and pine um, being the predominant flavours and then a bit of tropical fruit in the background. And and we've stuck to that, even though a lot of... Uh, they're probably not pop, popular characters as much as the tropical fruit and citrus, uh, general citrus these days in, with a lot of the new varieties and a lot of the beers that are um, coming out, they, they select more towards that tropical character. Um, so, you know, we've stuck to our guns there because that's how we like it and, and certainly we make enough other IPAs during the course of the year to indulge anything else that we may want to uh, do. So it's been very much a case of this is what it was, this is what it is, stick there and let, and let people trust that they'll always know what they're getting when they buy that beer. Yeah. So, so just to clarify, in terms of the um, the hop varieties that you've used, it's you're not bound. You know, you don't sort of uh, you know sign off contracts to get uh, certain types of hops specifically for hop hog, but it's more that you you get those similar types um, to get the to achieve the the similar flavour profile. Yeah, we make it to a flavour profile rather than a recipe. So, just because one year it needed a kilo of Cascade, well next next year's cascade might taste different so it might be a bit more or a bit less cascade or it may be that cascade just had a bad year or it's changed its character for a year so it might go right down and we'll we'll build back that flavor with a different hop variety um so it's not like we don't want to give anyone the impression that we're on a, on a day-to-day to see which way the wind blows and just chucking in different hops all the time it's only it only happens like annually as we receive the new hop hot products we will recalibrate back to ground zero so to speak yeah and look i only ask that because i know i've spoken to a lot of brewers who oh look you know if if we couldn't get x type of hop in the quantities that we need uh, we just wouldn't be able to produce that you know our flagship beer or whatever because it's it's very important to us that it is made with you know to 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 a recipe so it's just interesting that uh two very different ways of doing it and obviously you know the the proof of the pudding is the pudding you know 10 years down the track uh, it's still it's still you know it's the one that it, it's the beer that um probably more so than many other beers and uh, matt and i were talking on um brews news week recently i said you know maybe Hightail is synonymous with 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 mountain goat or certainly was hop hog is, is mm. even more synonymous i guess if you you know if you if you asked 100 randoms you know to uh, name a beer that represents these certain breweries when we get to feral i would have thought 98 out of 100 would have said hop hog yeah i would think so yep that'd be yeah definitely um and so for that reason we're pretty protective of it and yeah there are many ways to do it some people swear by what's written on the page in the recipe um we just do it our way. We have a flavour profile, and that's what we always refer back to, our, our sensory profile. Um, yeah, so 10 years on is good. Uh, I mean, I think the, the just to touch on what you said there, Pete, a little bit is probably one of the most satisfying things is when, you know, the people come up and say, oh, Hot Bog was the, was the first beer that I had that got me started drinking better beer or drinking craft beer. Um, that is, you know, something that really was, I think, and will will the same that we really um, take a lot of satisfaction out of, uh, and probably more so than anything else in the in the job. Um, yeah, they're great. They're great things for us. 
it's interesting that you say that because it, it, it is a very influential beer, but I, I was really surprised when, you know, suddenly you, you realise that 10 years ago that, that Hop Hog is 10 years old and you just think how much has changed over that um, 10 years and how quickly after a very slow start, um, you know, particularly the last five years, we've suddenly seen this acceleration um, of breweries coming along, beer styles. Um, do you think, you know, wh- where do you think the market sits now? Did you think that we will continue to convert people to beer or that we've pretty much sort of got out there and we're just sort of fighting for the existing market share? No, I think they're still coming across, mate. Yeah, I'm pretty confident that that it's barely... We're only just scratching the surface. And you see it... I harp back to it a lot visiting the US. When you visit the US, you just see how broadly distributed and available craft beer is there and how deep it goes into, into the distribution channels. So... I think there's still a lot of new people to discover um, craft beer and beer generally. There's plenty of room, plenty of room for, for growth yet. If you weren't um, in a brewery at the moment, like if you didn't have your own brewery that was uh, starting, you know, right at the start of the early days of craft beer, would you start a brewery now? Oh shit! Um, if, if you're a younger and more energetic man, I should so not. not <laughs> I'm probably and, too old. And and you got to use your own money, not CCOs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm probably too old. Um, look, you'd, you'd you'd be considering different things to what we were considering 15 years ago. That's for sure. Um, and you'd you'd want I'd I'd want to know what what my point of difference was going to be. And you know, just our my whole reason for uh, for opening it was that we couldn't buy beers that we like to drink is no longer holds true because I can buy beers I like to drink and I buy it everywhere now, so I'd have to find a reason to, um, and I can't think of what that is at the moment. So I'd, I'd say I probably wouldn't because I don't have a reason. But um, yeah, I I often think about people opening in a fairly cluttered and marketplace. And I still think there's opportunity for, for people. And still, um, brew pub opportunities in particular, I think there's plenty of opportunity for those. And I, I may do it. Yeah, I'd probably open a brew pub before I did anything else. Brendan, just on that, what um, even go back 10 years um, to sort of when, when, when Hophog launched and, and Feral was still relatively young, um, what were your biggest challenges then? And, and then fast forward to today, and are those challenges still similar for, for those opening today? Yeah, I mean, I'd say on the, on the commercial sense, there's not been any more much more freedom of, of market. I'd say uh, commercially... There's more of an awareness from from the from the trade that they need diversity in their tap range, or perhaps they're not going to be considered as a desirable place for everyone to to go to. So there's some there's a bit more opportunity there. Um, a difference is we had to explain to people what craft beer was 10, 10 or fifteen years ago. That now at least there's some loose understanding that it's going to be beer that's um, got a bit more flavour in it and and might be made in a smaller batch or something like that. Most people would have some be able to reconcile some understanding of what craft beer is when, when you when you talk to them about it, which wasn't the case. Um, I mean, we've always been pretty good with whatever ingredients and things we needed. So whilst that whole supplier side of the industry has come along um, and, and, is, and, and is well placed to serve 
brewers. Yeah, I, and I think the consumer piece is probably the main one that I just, just mentioned is that there, there's now a bit more understanding about what craft beer is, and that should make it easier. But ultimately, there's a lot more craft brewers out there fighting fighting amongst themselves. Um, yeah. And look, whilst the um, the physical uh, gap between you know the west coast and the east coast hasn't changed, um, certainly the you know social media and a bit of transport, um, a bit of you know sea freight and and those sorts of things, and and I guess in you know the classic case of, of colonial where you know and and uh, to a lesser extent or a greater extent I guess um, little creatures building their bases over over on the east coast as well mm. um does, does mm. that help or does that help i guess um nationalize the product but also make it more accessible to say oh you know i'd love to try something from you know further afield um and people are getting a better experience now yeah possibly although i also think it's um going back towards a bit more local or hyper local I think we've seen a drop off on, on in imported craft. I don't know whether whether actual numbers would, would say that, but you know, as the local industry's grown and got better at what we do and made better beer and and it was fresher, uh, I think you know we see lots of Norwegian imports and Scandinavian imports, I should say, and even American imports. I see I see a lot less of that. Um, the social media is a big one you mentioned, knowing that it was barely a thing 10 years ago, and certainly not a thing um, 15 years ago. So that certainly allowed, you know, messages from everybody to get further faster. And I think that's probably changed a lot of not just craft beer, but a lot of um, industries for smaller craft and artisan type operators, just the, the reach that social media can, can give small businesses that perhaps they never had before when when it was newspapers, billboards and magazines were the only, and TV were really the only way to get your message out. So that's probably going to help. But is that all good for, for, for breweries, uh, Brennan? Because, you know, like it, you get your message out, but then again you get people uh, able to sort of give feedback informed or otherwise uh, and, and they've got a very loud voice um at, at the same time yeah oh, yeah that that's true too we, we we see that in the in the restaurants someone from time to time will just get a bee in their bonnet about something that's clearly not that reasonable and then and, and next thing you know there's a terrible review floating around there's no filters on these things so i think you just got to use it as best we can Brendan, the other, um, I guess, string to your bow um, for for most of the time that that I've known you um, has been involved in the Australian International Beer Awards um, as head judge for a little while, but also as a, a key member of the advisory panel. Keen to get your thoughts on, uh, I guess, what what are the biggest changes you've noticed from an industry point of view? And it's that age-old question: Do the bigger awards like the AIBAs Kind of follow or reflect uh, the the trends, or do they direct the trends as to where beer is going? Yeah, it's a good one. Um, and look, those whole awards, the, the group of people judging them is vastly different. So, going way way back when I first judged there, you know, the diversity of beer styles it was there, but but just the weight of them was always much more towards towards lager and mainstream and, and the judging panels probably reflected that. Now it's a really diverse group of people who've got broad knowledge across all styles uh, and I think they're better for it. Um, and the consultative 
method of judging is certainly a big step forward over what was the old write down the score in silence uh, by yourself all day long. So that that's that get that gets better results and it was a huge step forward as Brad Brad Rogers kind of was the one that did the push to get that here first year and did well and, and the awards have a look back from there. So did the awards direct where beer styles are, are going, certainly in terms of change, or do they just reflect yeah. what what's already happened? I I think you'd have to say they reflect what's happened. You can't. It's very difficult to write a, a style for, in advance of someone making it. I um, I think in order to keep relevant, it's important that they do look at what's happening out in trade, and it's a big part of what the industry body does. You see what the you see what brewers are doing, and make sure that they're that the awards enable them to enter beers um, for assessment fairly and equally and with a, and amongst like examples and and accordingly just adjust the styles that, that get rep, get represented yeah that's that, that, that's crucial that that, that happens uh, and it does happen it's, it's constantly what's in market that, that we don't really have a right spot for are these grouped together it's constant reassessment to try um, to try and make sure that everything every beer has an opportunity to be to be fairly assessed. After a lot of criticism of competitions sort of not moving with contemporary styles, this year we saw, for example, the NEPA um, was, was being judged and uh, it was probably at the time of peak NEPA and, you know, there may not be any NEPAs being brewed at all in 18 months' time. Sometimes can we be a little bit too keen to jump on trends with, with the competitions? Yeah, you certainly can. Um, I wouldn't say hope, but it wouldn't be sad if there was less NEPA brewed in 18 months' time. Personally, um, but, I don't, but but I don't but I don't know that's going to be the case again. Just when 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 you're away in the US, that there's a what do they call it? A cloudy tap or a hazy? There's a hazy tap on every single brew pub. They all do. They're all doing multiples of them now. So I think I'm ready to concede that it might have got a foothold and be around for a while. Uh, but certainly, you can jump too early. You can jump too early um and i guess if you do that you just you just backtrack and and fix it It, it's funny i haven't had too many brewers come out and defend the nipa style why is that oh i don't know are are we all just old men who don't who can't keep with the times mine's just personal i don't like that real heavy yeast load it tastes stringent to me um most times so that's just a personal thing for me i don't know what other brewers do i'd yeah, I'd, I'd hope that the Brute IPA might get up and going, um, which is obviously the other end of the spectrum, at least as far as appearance is concerned, but that's certainly taking a bit longer to kick off. Uh, well, it, it's funny. Um, it, it took a while to jump the Pacific, but we've seen a rush of them. And I, I, I'm with you. I uh, When I first tried um, my first uh, Brute IPA, I could immediately see the point of it, that I'd never really mm. saw the point of a, a, a NEPA. No, same. Making a beer appear beautiful and bright and sparkly and bubbly and then smell with all those lovely hop flavours, that, ah, that to me is brilliant, brilliant beer style. One of the things that uh, I, I sparked a bit of discussion about was I, I made the point that there was a time when using enzymes, for example, was seen as being the antithesis of craft brewing and now craft brewers are embracing it for, for a particular purpose. You know, it, is that a legitimate technique within the craft world? Yeah, I think so. I think we we might have chatted about this before. Um, it comes down to why you use anything. If you're using it because just because it's going to make you a cheaper litre of beer, 
then there's probably not very crafty methodology behind it. If you're using it to get to an outcome that lets you deliver a beer the way you want it to, then I think it's game on. So if you want it to be more hoppy and there's a way of a way of introducing more hops through not the pellets but through um, tetra or whatever it may be, then or, or or other hop products that might be seen as not crafty then, but if it's going to get you the result from a flavour sense that you want, then you do it. You don't not do it because of its reputation. Um, yeah, I, I think that as long as your motives are, are clear and that it's to, to deliver a result rather than to deliver just a cut in price and a cut in quality, then then you should use it. So, Brennan, what's next for you? Do you have a brute IPA in the, in the tank, for example, that uh, you, you may have churned out recently? Yeah, we've turned one out. We turned a, turned a few out actually. We they don't often go get get much past the Swan Valley or or some of the nearer customers to us there in Perth. So, but we, we've turned out two or three out of the brew pub. Um, obviously, we'll have another tusk coming up shortly. I, I can't keep track of what Will turns out. I think he's there's probably not a lot of new beer dropping in the next few weeks because half the brewery the brew pub will be um, full of. Uh, Tusk, getting that ready for beginning of November, um, and then is there will be then there'll be some hop hog variants as well. So um, draft only, but you know some different fruited ones and spending a bit of time on other. Uh, we've done white hog, which is like a white a white IPA. Um, we'll be spending a bit of time just focusing back on those over the next six months. And, and and what next for you? When when we did speak uh, twelve months ago about the CCA purchase, one of the reasons you decided um, that CCA was the uh, was the one for you um, was that you weren't tied to them. Um, you, you've seen out a, a year. Did you see your immediate future staying there? Oh yeah, yeah. I think yeah, it's good. No, we've got a good team there at the moment, um, and a lot of momentum, and everyone's pretty excited. And, and I'm enjoying being part of it, so I'm absolutely yeah, I'm absolutely there. Brennan, great to catch up. Hopefully, we'll get to have a, a beer with you soon. So, what's next for you? You're in Melbourne at the moment, doing a little bit of work. Have you got anything else uh, coming up? You're going to be over at Sydney Beer Week, for example. Yeah, I will be over at Sydney Beer Week. I think the beginning weekend of that, and then that'll probably be the end of the beer travels, at least for this year. And uh, we'll go, and then we'll spend summer down south, down Eagle Bay, down there. Yeah, as we get into the holiday seasons. <laughs> so that, that, that's down at the Varus Mansion at Eagle Bay, is it? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> that's where the yacht comes in. <laughs> no, that's that's where the crowfots. That's where the crowfots go out. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll ho- hopefully, uh, actually, we're long overdue a trip over to uh, the, the West Coast, so hopefully we'll get over very soon. Uh, Prof and I might be able to, uh, you know, ha- have a chat over some crab pots or some lobster pots. Yeah, let's hope. Yeah, well, if you get over, we'll make sure we do that. Yeah, that'll be great. That'll be great. Oh, Brendan Varis, great to uh, have a chat. Congratulations on 10 years of Hop Hog and uh, one year of surviving the uh, corporate overlords. <laughs> yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Prof. That was Brennan Burris. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. 
Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at bruisenews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener. And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation. And we look forward to another conversation next week. <laughs>